0: All right, three-point range. Remember us? We barely remember each other, but we're going to reconvene. A special session called by the scout, Kimball Crosley, and joining, as always, the professor, Tim Crothers, and myself, Mike Berardino. Uh, We're going to go to the professor, lead us off with a little golf talk.
1: Well, I love love to talk golf because that's that basically eliminates one of our uh, one of our three voices. <laughs> I thought we went over this last time about a month ago. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, this as as most people know, um, maybe nobody on this podcast, but most people know uh, is the week of the Open Championship. Please don't call it the British Open. That's that's uh, not what we do. Uh, the Open Championship, and um, I it, it's it's at St Andrews, um, the home of golf, and uh, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I, I assume Kimball has never has never been to St Andrews. Mike, have you ever been to St Andrews?
0: No, but our mm-hmm. friend Ward Clayton has.
1: Yeah, did mm-hmm. you see? He
0: wrote a little something about it. Looked interesting.
1: Uh, I, I haven't seen that but I'll be sure and check it out as soon as well it's probably
0: over, It's all over the Facebook. I'm going okay. uh, to yeah. in fact I'm going to read it during the show
1: just to I was going to say awake. I'll check it out while you guys are talking. Okay, very good. Um but uh but yes, the home of golf and I I, I had I too have been there although I have not not written about it anytime recently. Um but uh the home of golf is the most in my mind the most hallowed patch of, of earth uh, in the sporting world. And what's what's so fascinating about it is just how public it is. Um, having, having been there, I, I remember for the first time I, I walked um, to the course, um, this was back in the early 90s at some point, um, and seeing, seeing the 18th hole for the first time and seeing just an old Scottish gentleman Walking his dog down the fairway, dog taking a big dump on the in the, mm. in the middle of the 18th in the middle of the 18th uh, fairway, and thinking, where else? Where else in the world? In, in of all of our great sporting ven- venues, w- would could this happen? <laughs> I mean, you just wouldn't see that at Yankee Stadium or uh, or you know any you know any any of our hallowed sporting places, and and even. Particularly um, more notable is you wouldn't see it at any uh, any of our great American usually private golf courses, uh, and even the even the public ones you're not going to see that happening at Pebble Beach or any other place where where you're allowed. So it's it's it really is unique uh, in in that way, and that it is it is just it is purely a public space. It is a it is a it is essentially a public park for use uh, of anybody who happens to be in, in St. Andrews can walk and stroll the course at, at any point. Um, it is a, it is a completely public course in terms of play. Um, i I was allowed to play it, which I guess says it all in terms of how, you know, how they pretty much let anybody on there. And, uh, and so it's interesting in that way. And yet the paradox of it is, as I was, I was thinking about this uh, earlier today, is that when they play the Open Championship there on uh, on this Thursday through Sunday? Uh, the winner of the the winner of this year's Open Championship, I would argue, no matter who it is in the field, I don't even know how many people are in the field, but it's over a hundred, and including the greatest golfers currently playing the game, and, and including Tiger, uh, whoever wins this championship on Sunday afternoon. They will they will count this open championship the 150th anniversary of the open championship at St Andrews they will count this tournament this victory as the greatest moment of their career everyone in the field and I I can honestly say that I can't think of any other any other uh, golf tournament that's happened in you know in recent past that where you could say that where you could say if tiger wins it, it's the biggest moment of his career. If Justin Thomas wins it, if Xander Shoffley wins it, if, if the, the, the lowest amateur, whoever it is, wins it, it doesn't matter. Anyone in the field who wins this particular championship, it will be the single greatest moment of their career. And uh, it's just it's interesting that you could you know you could say that about a golf a golf course and a golf event where um, you know st- if, if Tiger wins it on Sunday Sunday he might have to walk past um, some Saint Bernard's poop on the 18th fairway to get to the to get to the green that's going to win him the, the greatest uh, tournament and the greatest moment of his career. Um, I, I you know I don't have any great momentous point in that, except that I think it's just an interesting paradox that has just that suddenly struck me as we were preparing for this, that that uh, in such a public place um, that is so accessible to anybody um, could could hold a, a championship and an event that has such power that no matter who wins it, it will be the greatest moment of their career. Thoughts?
0: Well, I'd, I'd just like to, uh, well, Kimball, one up i'd like to go back to uh your round you just played the one round there one round yes yeah i mm-hmm. think we talked about it in the past the pressure you felt on a putt but was that's true if you had uh, if your lives had intersected you and that dog owner in in that moment, <laughs> would,
1: would you have received relief from the relief uh, that's a good question uh i i I, I don't know whether that's in the anywhere written in in the rna rules of golf i I can't imagine that it is I mean it pretty much covers everything I guess um uh, I guess you could call it a, a loose impediment right is that a loose impediment
0: <laughs> it depends on what the dog's yeah. diet has been like uh, yes best, but we'll uh-huh. just leave it we'll just leave it there uh so the question is is there uh, is there another venue where Regardless of who wins, it's the greatest moment. It's not always the greatest moment of the of the player's life when they win there, though, right? I mean, no. is it?
1: I'm always. saying that. That's what I'm saying about this particular one. Because it's one. This particular one. Well, that and and the fact that you know who I, I just I'm trying to I, I I racked my brain for at least fifteen seconds before we did this, thinking about you know if you could possibly come up with another scenario do in which this the which somebody has had a bigger victory previously in their career i mean think about it tiger has won won 15 majors and if if he wins this one it'll be bigger than that 19 masters it'll be bigger than the 18 winning by 15 strokes at the pebble beach it'll be the biggest it'll be it'll be the biggest the biggest major of his career
2: right so you're saying like there's other situations where that might not be the case where obviously somebody You know that if somebody won the um, uh, past Nicholas by winning Mm -hmm. the four major titles, and it wasn't the British Open, well, that would be better than the British Open victory, for example, or or if they had won this, like, or if they would won them in the past. So yeah, yeah,
1: I'm just saying, and you know, any Tigers won eighty two whatever tournaments he's won, and none of them will 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 match this. And you could say that about every single guy in the field. That there isn't a single guy in the field who uh you know who wouldn't count this as his as the, the greatest moment of his career on Sunday. Whoever uh, wins it, it's gonna be the greatest moment of his career.
0: What about uh what about Brooks Kepka's little brother? Is he in it?
1: 'Cause cause he, I don't think so.
0: Chase Kepka? He he mm-hmm. would not admit I neither Kepka problem child would admit that that was the greatest win of his career just to you be don't difficult. think so no yeah no um, really don't no well, certainly do it that way brooks is yes brooks is won a number of majors and uh mm-hmm. he he just he would be difficult on that but but if you're going to just say that the the sports media world would define it as such then i guess I am. Know, that is and i'm going to say point. that it's
1: but it's also interesting that it's just this moment in time because yeah. You know, I think that could change in the future like, you know, we have several guys like Rory for instance, if if he were to win this, uh and then he w- and and then he would al- also go on to win the Masters next year to complete the career grand slam, I think he might count the Masters as as the biggest moment, biggest win of his career. But if he wins if he wins on Sunday up until he wins the Masters next year, this is going to be the greatest moment of his career. And everyone in the field is in that same spot. I don't I just don't think there's that often you know, it didn't I don't think it I don't think we were talking about this at the John Deere uh, last week. There was no there was there were a lot of people in that field who would, wouldn't have even considered it the biggest moment in their last month. So, so yeah.
2: So, you know, I'm gonna surprise you guys because I know you said this was really not my topic, but mm-hmm. you have no idea because I spent a lot of time going to see minor league games. As you know, I, I might see a hundred and something, hundred and fifty of them a year. Whatever fun, but, what fun, but what you don't realize is you said that that's never happened. There is video out there currently because the you know, those at minor league parks, they often have these between inning, you know, bat affairs. race, mm-hmm. and one of them is a dog catching a frisbee. And you know, <laughs> it's a common one, you know, someone the wonder dog, I forget what it's called. They used to have it in Portland all the time. This guy would throw this Frisbee 200 yards out and the dog would run and catch it. It was amazing. And there's just video recently of uh, a dog catching the Frisbee, but then relieving himself right there <laughs> in center field. Um, mm-hmm. So there is precedent um, and and I'm well aware of it. Now, I do have a couple questions because I am naive about golf and Tell me how the public course works at St. Andrews. It just first come first serve then. And then like some days there's just a massive line of people, you know, trying to get on.
1: I mean, I course. think you, I think you, you, you still have to reserve your spot several days in advance. It was a long, this was a long time ago. So I, I don't remember it well. And honestly um, I was not the one who even arranged the tea time. I'll drop, I'll drop a name here because I know Mike All likes right. to do that so much. Um, I played that day with golf golf uh channel contributor jaime diaz former, former sports illustrated colleague of mine and um he was the one who, who actually arranged the tea time so I, i'm not sure exactly what went, went into it but i know we knew several days ahead of time that we were going to play at a particular point so i'm guessing that he uh he was able to reserve that 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 time but but the truth is yeah i mean Especially, uh, especially on a non-peak time. I mean, if you went there, if you went to St. Andrews, not not in the summertime, um, and you walked up, you walked up to the starter in October and said, "I'd like to play eighteen, I think they'd they would take your whatever it is, you know, forty pounds, and and say you're on your way. And, and how would, how would you like course? a caddy?
2: How is the course? Like, uh, is it particularly difficult? Is it?
1: No, it's actually you, one of the things that's been much debated in leading up to this this Open Championship is how the course has not really stood the test of time unless unless the elements uh, defend it. Um, there, that many of the holes, the par fours are drivable. The if they're not drivable, it's going to be a it's going to be a flip wedge in. So it's not a situation where. Um, it's a particularly challenging course unless, as Scotland often often provides, you get you get some good wind or some good rain or combination of both, then it becomes then it becomes uh, more of a more of a test. But for the most part, the expected score is gonna be, you know, in somewhere in the neighborhood of 15, 20 under. So it's not, you know, it's gonna be more like a more the score is gonna be more like a, an average week on the PJ tour instead <laughs> of a major.
2: Is it in good shape? And what did you shoot?
1: Um, I I think we discussed this yes a, I, a year or so ago, two years ago, whenever we last brought up this issue. Um, I had to make a putt on eighteen to shoot eighty nine. Oh, um, and yeah, the fact that and I got incredibly lucky because I didn't hit a single bunker, uh, which there are many, and most of the bunkers on the course require are basically a penalty stroke just to get out.
0: Hell, bunker.
1: Hell bunker is one of them.
0: Yes. Church pews.
1: Uh, I don't know about the church pews. I don't think that's happened. I don't think that's. I yeah, that's is a different that course. But okay, well, no, that's a okay. different course. But church Pews. Hell bunker. You're on it. You're on it with all hell right. bunker. Yes.
0: I would just. All right. Well, that. No. It was, it was a fascinating opening point. Uh, since you dropped your score, I'll just. I just like to correct the. I just like to publicly apologize to all of our listeners. I believe I have tooted my own horn. In the past, because I got to play Augusta National twice on media day, mm-hmm. and I thought my you know the mind can play tricks, and I I always thought that I had shot uh, a one twenty eight <laughs> and a one twenty four, <laughs> and I was moving recently, and I found the two scorecards, and you would think they'd be framed, but not with those numbers, and um, I just I was aghast that. Uh, I've been lying all these years to to you and our listeners and my family and, and everyone I, I I actually shot a 126 and a 127 and you <laughs> I, I just uh, I feel bad about that I, I I don't I did not need to be inflating my credentials as a Really poor golfer, but I but mm-hmm. I got to play there and I had some. Which fire. one? Which
1: one did you shoot first? Did, was that 126? Did you have to make a putt on 18 to break 127? And and was that a big moment for you?
0: <laughs> I just know I parred number three. Okay, I played it. I played. I, you know I played 36 holes there, and I had one par third number three. And mm-hmm. um, I don't want to get into it, but but it was a wonderful <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> you know me, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I'm sure you. You know, have you been cool? Tim Cruthers put pressure on himself there mm-hmm. on that day, and you handled it. I, I didn't handle it that way. Of course, I will say we had to play with carts. We did not have caddies. In my defense, we, you know, the whole thing about you know, me. When you get to play Augusta National, if you win the lottery uh, after the, after the event itself, you have a caddy, and they tell you, the hole's over there. No, put it twenty feet over there, and it's going to swing around. You're like, What? Then it, it does. I had none of that. So I if I had a caddy, I probably would have broken 120. Uh maybe not. Maybe I would have broken 125. But uh 126, 127, that's the official record. Let's go on to point number 2.
1: Yes, okay. cuz none of that had anything to do with my point. So yeah. Ah, let's well, move no,
0: on. No, you mm-hmm. got to talk about your score. And it, I'm just you know, I'm, I was what, asked what, about it. I'm what Mike it. just said, when Mike just it. said
2: is a nice segue to what I want to talk about.
1: Perfect. And you're talking must about have handling
2: handling pressure in a sporting event and um we had another you know legendary tournament take place this past weekend of course Wimbledon as um Novak Djokovic defeated um, Nick Kyrgios and um again I had a, a small window before I had to get to the park to watch some tennis and I actually watched some tennis that morning and and it was fascinating and I do play a lot of tennis but I don't watch a lot of tennis and um of course, we had the irony of John McEnroe talking quite a bit about the little outbursts that Nick Kyrgios had, and I, I you know, I was watching the very beginning where it, and that kind of where it turned, where he went from winning the first set and playing very well to, you know, the, uh, coming apart at the seams, and then eventually it all, you know, it he did, I guess, well, he didn't unravel, but he lost obviously, and it, you know, it got me thinking about. Um, the mental side of any sport. And, uh, you know, it's was especially interesting because, you know, athletes handle things different ways and, um, you know, the, having McEnroe comment on it, I'm not the only one to recognize the irony there because he of <laughs> course had his own little outburst on the court, but I was thinking about just, you know, and, and I, I didn't get to watch the whole thing cause I had to get to an afternoon game, but, um, you know, the, the, the clips I heard and the moments I heard of Kyrios, like it just struck me how nonsensical the things he was, <laughs> thinking were, you know, and, and I thought, well, did, is that part of why it didn't work for him? It doesn't work for him because they're pure, just pure nonsense, pure distraction. You know, whereas, whereas McEnroe, usually, if I'm not wrong, was, was usually talking about, you know, arguing a call, which is huge, which, a lot of times you're right about and in many sports like baseball, managers constantly, you know, uh harangue umpires about calls and it, it seems to work. Or basketball, we all know coaches can do the same thing. So I start thinking about that and then I start thinking about like, well, what you know, what does undo us as an athlete? And it's funny because uh, you know, we are commenting on sports a lot because we could not play them as well as the guys we comment on about. And it was not just physically, it was mentally as well. You know, it, we, we were probably deficient in both areas. Um, and so it's funny because I, I happened to have that morning in, in my hotel before I watched the tennis, the, the team psychiatrist, psychologist for the, um, nationals, the, who, who handles all the, uh, you know, sports psychology, uh, work for the Nationals minor league and major league system, I guess, uh, was in the hotel and uh we we, you know, saw each other in the breakfast room and 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 I I started talking to her about what she does and um and then we quickly segued into my tennis game <laughs> <laughs> because I mentioned that it wasn't the first time I had talked to the, you know such a person. You know, the legendary Carl Keel. Um, he, he was a baseball coach who wrote, Ding. who wrote a book with Harvey Dorfman called Ding. the mental game of baseball, which is a fascinating book. And it's a fascinating book about really, it can help you in any sport. And I remember reading that book and trying to like, see if I could learn anything for myself or just learn anything in general. And then I actually got to meet Carl Keel at one time. And that was at the height of my, my, uh, probably when I was playing as much tennis as I ever had in in my life, but also playing it as poorly uh, in a way as I had, because I just tried to change my forehand grip and I was a mess. And I, I, I was trying to talk to Carl Q about these things. And I guess the biggest thing, a uh, couple of things that I came away from, with from these conversations is, you know, especially with Carl is he really believes, you know, you got to eliminate all that, the negative thinking, right. Which we do all the time, like, Oh, don't hit it in the net don't hit it long, uh, don't hit it out, oh, don't hit it too hard, oh, I better not miss this, you know, and, and I've, I believe me, they're running commentary when I play tennis of those things. But, of course, there's moments when we're playing well and that's not happening. And I've always been fascinated by, and even Carl, I was trying to get an answer for, like, no, I'm sorry, you, you he says, Carl was almost saying, like, just don't think about anything. I'm like, eh, I don't know about nothing, about anything. That's unrealistic. And I was thinking about like, do you think of one thing, one positive cue? And when I when I coach sports, I think that's the answer. I think like just think of one, one little primer for yourself. You know, in basketball when you shoot, keep your elbow in. That's a lot better than don't break it, or don't miss it, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and in tennis, I don't even know if I have my own cue. And talking to this the woman from who psychologist for the nationals, we talked about. You know, maybe for me it's just put it there, put the ball there. Put the ball there don't think about where it's going and stuff like that um so it just got me thinking about all these things and, and the thing that carl keel used to say that that I will I'll put it to you but then I'll give you my point afterwards but he used to say be your own man and I really was like
0: uh,
2: I don't know if that helps me much so I want to get your response like for-
0: be, the yeah. be the ball I, I want to get
2: I I, I want it get your thoughts on these things. But first I want to see if you guys think curios will ever get it together. And then I I want you to comment on, yeah what you think about the whole idea of, of what you think about when you're, when you're doing something, you know, trying to do something in sports, swinging a golf club or whatever it may be.
1: Well, you and I talked a little bit about this that day. Uh, and I, I, was talking at the time about how, yeah, I mean, you know how I've said on the podcast before how much I love uh, Rafa Nadal and how I think he's just as mentally tough as anybody uh, in sports. But I think Novak Djokovic is right up there with him, which is kind of what makes their rivalry so so interesting. Um, And uh, on the same token, I think Nick Kyrgios is maybe the most fragile athlete in sports. Uh, He couldn't be more polar opposite from... Nadal and Djokovic. Um because man that guy is so frigging talented and it is just it, uh, honestly if you if if his if he had um you know if he had the the mental game of of Djokovic or or Nadal no one in on the tennis tour could touch him. I firmly believe this. He was he was out, out serving Djokovic 15 20 miles an hour on both his 50s First and second serve, and still putting in seventy-five percent on his first serve. It was insane, but at the same time, whenever it got to be a a critical moment, you could almost see um, see it coming that Kyrgios was going to crack. Um, you know, what an incredibly talented player. But at the same time, um, just in watching him. Play right, parts of two or three matches during the championships this year. I thought, um, I, I thought I was all I could almost start to predict when this was going to come. And yes, he was chirping nonsensically at his box the entire, <laughs> the entire <laughs> match. Um, he does. It, he's so he's so such an impossible personality that I don't think he really has a coach. So basically, he's just chirping at, at just random friends and. And potentially family in his in his box, su- suggesting that they weren't supporting him enough or something. It was weird. They were standing <laughs> up, but they were standing up and cheering every, after every point. And yet he was he was he was somehow blaming the fact that when things didn't go well, he was somehow blaming it on them. Um, obviously, this is not uh, you know this is not a model citizen who who has claimed that he he uh, has his has his own mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does make you wonder whether, you know, whether, you know, this was a one-off, whether he can come back and and do this again. Uh, I do. I, I really do feel, though, that that uh, he is as talented as any player on the tour right now, without any doubt. I don't think anybody would argue that. I mean,
2: so wait, do you think so? It sounds like from what you're saying, you don't think it works for him at all. Whereas we all would probably agree that it mm-hmm. fed McEnroe and we've seen a lot of athletes that it feeds them. Yes. They kind of like think the hell with all of you. It's, it's I don't legal. know. It's I don't, girl. I don't
1: know that it does. I, I don't know that I would say that. I think, it, I think he needs to do it. I mean, whether or not, it, whether or not it's, it does help him. I don't know, but I think he needs to do it or he wouldn't do it as much as he does. But I also think that it does hurt him in those, in those critical moments. I mean, there were times as, as you're watching the match that you think, all right, this is, this is a critical moment and he is just you know he is just obsessed with something you know a, a recent line call or somebody in the stands talking to him or or whatever and you could just see his the level of his game lower right in front of you um, based on the fact that he wasn't 100% mentally focused on on the match i also think you know i'm i'm not i'm not a doctor but i'm guessing that this guy has adhd because the it was so predictable in watching long points, uh, in most of his matches in the tournament. When the when the point got to like seven or eight strokes, he just got bored, <laughs> he would just he would just try some crazy shot to end the point. Um, you know, he has he's obviously you know so talented that he played two two straight two straight points during the match against Djokovic. He played lobs over his head, back between his legs, and won one of the points, one of the two points. But this is just, you know, that's that's who he is, um, you know, just, just, um, you know, he. I think he fancies himself an entertainer. He talked about the match that he sh- would have played against Nadal before Nadal pulled out as as the most would be the most watched match in the history of tennis. Um, just a, he's just a, you know, he's just he's a fascinating character, but uh, and an incredibly talented character. But he is no doubt. um, just undermining himself i think completely with with his antics and it's it's sad to see because just to think what he could be if um if he could somehow find find a way and this is what you were talking about if he if he can find if he could find a way to figure out what his positive key is and settle on it and and thrive on it man it's it's the sky's the limit but i don't know i don't know if he's going to get there i really don't know if he's ever going to get there Kimball,
0: what what was the uh, mantra that Carl Keel would give him? It was something like, "Be the man you're supposed to be," or something. What would <laughs> be, be your own man? Yeah, yeah, I don't think that. And a would... lot
2: of that was just like, don't think of the result, right? Yeah. Put the pitch. Put the pitch where you want it. Put the shot where you want it. Yeah. Don't obsess about what happens next. Just do what you can do, kind of. Yeah.
0: Uh, think- that that conversation brought me back almost four decades to the last time I probably really cared about a Wimbledon (laughs) outcome. I did not watch a single second of it. I feel bad about that, but I've been moving recently and I know, and I don't go out of my way to watch breakfast at Wimbledon anymore, but it would have been what you've just said. That guy, Curios. It sounds like my kind of dude, but um, (laughs) I will say that rooting for Yvonne Lindell at the height of his talent where he could win everywhere else on the globe, but, but there. And I even had, you may recall, both diamond shape, uh, types of the, the alternate Lendl, uh, shirt, the tennis shirt. And I had sprung for that. And I, and I might've even sat there on a Sunday morning for three, four hours with my little Lendl shirt on as a, uh, as a youngster, a teen. And it didn't matter if he was facing, uh, becker or pat cash i remember one year it was like okay finally he's gonna do it and pat cash ate him up he would just dominate he would just roll and he'd get to the final and you could see him melting right there before you um and it didn't take much and he would do a lot of muttering as i recall and and uh, i don't know if he was barking at his at his friend's box but um but rooting for Lendl was really a uh unsatisfying experience and mm-hmm. but it stayed with you and and i as far as how you push through that sort of thing, I could never do it in any sport, any endeavor, but I, in coaching children, youth sports, especially baseball, the one thing I think I thought about in pitching, I had a, there would be parents right outside the dugout, I was the coach, and there'd be a, one great parent who would yell to his son, uh, strikes only strikes only well, what, kind, <laughs> what kind of advice is that so uh you know these kids they generally live in fear of disappointing their parents so what i came up with after teaching them that all pretty much the basics of pitching mechanics was finish the one word the mantra for no matter who the kid was finish your pitch finish if you i just figured out if you had a full if you did if you completed a delivery you didn't aim it like kimball's talking about put it there i don't i wouldn't do that Finish. It's a full arm swing all the way. If your right hand ends up down near your left knee, you're doing fine. Don't worry. Once you let the ball go, you can't control it and nothing else is is, is in your control. And it worked pretty well. I did think I could teach that uh, to this day. Um, and so I would think in any sport, just something like that, that's, that's process based, not out, definitely not outcome based. And don't ever tell yourself um, what to avoid because if you, 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 any great golfer would have to say that they don't even know the water hazard is there. But the amateur golfer, and certainly I, well, I'm, uh, the, you're defeated the minute you take out a so-called water ball from your bag. <laughs> the second you, you've, you've, you've said, basically, I'm hitting this in the water because I'm not going to risk the $4 Titleist. Oh. And that's the difference between uh, regular competitors who can excel in the moment and those who melt and and i'm a von lindel fan and i'm still paying the price so uh that's we're two-thirds of the way through and i think we're gonna have to be. A little... I,
2: I promised them a wrap-up on that mike but
0: oh, did, you? did you have something else
2: <laughs> yeah i kind of promised if you weren't listening but i promised him.
1: oh he was I... halfway through ward clayton's article
2: i know i know um uh, i gotta you what, can what get back to 13 things ahead, but i just want to say i'll try and wrap it up with all the things you talk about, one of the reasons I'm not a golfer is because the more time I have to think about what I'm doing mechanically in any sport, the worse I am. And so one of my things with tennis about it's best if I don't think about the mechanics of my stroke. And that's why just get the ball out over there. Like when I was good passer in basketball, just deliver it to him and put the ball out over there. And so what happens to me in tennis is I tighten up and then I I choke the shot and I, I don't, I don't finish, which is kind of what you said. You know, I don't I don't just finish the stroke and just let the ball travel to where I want it to go. I, I doubt where it's going. And this especially happens when my opponent comes to the net, which I think should be outlawed in tennis <laughs> and singles, in singles, not in doubles. And, um, and I totally tense up. And all of a sudden, instead of just put the ball there, I think get through him, that small window right over there and whatever. But now I've got news for you. And for one of our loyal listeners, Joe McManus, when you come to the net now, I know what I'm going to do. I've talked to my sports psychologist. I'm not going to think <laughs> about getting in that window. I'm pretty, Top spin lob. No, 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 no. I've got it. I'm just going to okay. extend that key, finish out, and just not even think that he's there, just where I want it to go. Finish. Elsewhere on the court. Yeah. So watch out, everybody. And, and the answer is, be the best version of who you are. Like, if it helps you to, to if you need a little motivation on the court, whatever, but like, make it. So it's not defeating you. You know, don't be a, a curios.
0: I I strikes me that um and you're gonna see it over and over if you watch the open championship this week, but you know, holding your finish as Rory McElroy will, posing, it it's not just every it's not just a perfect shot, it's every shot, and I do think it helps him but it doesn't help him win the majors, I guess, every time. But uh but it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I, and I do think there's a lot to be said for just completing your task and then letting the, uh, the outcome be the outcome. You're not, you're not going to control that. Uh, we're two-thirds of the way through a uh, three-point range. That's what this is called. And uh, you can. we thank you for finding us again. Uh, we'll get together again a little sooner. Now I don't have to move again, I hope, for a full year. I've uh, been a little busy with that, finding my old scorecards. But um, we have a uh, Facebook page we invite you to check out called Three Point Range. We have a sub stack we invite you to check out called Three Point Range. Uh, and you can find this podcast anywhere from uh, Spotify, Google, uh, Amazon, uh, music, et cetera. And, um, leave a comment. We'll, uh, retweet it. Uh, if you make a particularly insightful comment, maybe we'll talk about it on a future show and, and, uh, you'll, there'll be a lovely gift. Um, the final point here, uh, uh, I I just think that we need to talk about conference.
1: Are you still deciding <laughs> what it's going to be? Yeah,
0: I am. I'm, I'm tweaking it. I'm tweaking it in real time. That's the fun oh, of it. He goes last? I have no I, have no. I have forty minute extension. I have nothing. Uh, I just it's on everybody. I hand mind. In my paper last, teacher. Guys, you, you may have heard. You Can may go have heard. last oral You may have heard that the Big Ten, the Big Ten, which was ori- originally called the Western Conference when. The- Country looked a little different; didn't have as many states, Ding. but uh, it, it now includes USC and UCLA, and soon there's even some talk it could could include North Carolina. Although I'll believe that when I see it, with the basics of how that ACC ESPN contract works. But my my overall point would be: some people are excited by this. Certainly, there's a lot of people uh, suggesting how this could all shake out, and you know, just the mega conference era is here, and there'll be a 12-team playoff and all that. And it just really uh, it it saddens me to, to see that um, it well I'm, I guess I'm only slightly sadder than when Maryland left the ACC to be in the Big Ten that was that was jarring and Rutgers now it's in just about TV markets and expanding your footprint etc. Uh, I am not enthralled with the concept of of USC and U and UCLA having to play in cold weather stadiums in november uh, to win a conference title and and i just think of the poor field hockey people or the poor water polo people or, and, and 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 all the olympic sports that will now have to uh miss so much class to uh to make a long distance <laughs> swing
1: through. really i That's do
0: well <laughs> i do think about them i think about them i you know field hockey was my first beat um I uh I, I do know I'm pretty sure that uh, Purdue does not have water polo but might have to take up something to match. I, I don't know I, I don't really see how this all works out for anything but the massive revenue-producing sports football and men's basketball. But what and that's is all a conference cares about? Well, I would say to you boys, what is a conference? What is the point of a conference in college? Originally, it was like-minded institutions that matched up. Uh, academically and athletically and geographically and they they kind of got together and figured well let's let's have 8, ten 12 of us eventually uh originally maybe six or eight and let's play uh it's now uh really cynical and really bothersome and I do think that eventually you're gonna see that split uh maybe in this before this. Uh, move to when they do make the move to 12 as a college football playoff where it will gene smith at ohio state has mentioned this a couple of times this summer that uh, maybe there has to be a separation of those universities that want to play for that the the big prize and then everybody else that's actually trying to have a conference that makes sense so maybe football needs to split off completely um uh, those uh, those top 64 or whatever uh playing for 12 spots but um Overall, the uh, this whole process is uh, it saddens me. Not as much as Ivan Lendl losing repeatedly on, on <laughs> Wimbledon Sunday, but it does sadden me. And I don't think Notre Dame will be joining the Big Ten.
2: Well, so in in many ways, I agree with you. I, I just want to say, like you know, when when we and other people talk about this or bemoan this, I, I start thinking about like um people getting sanctimonious about like, oh, sports is better when this and this and this. And usually I, I see the logic in in what's happening. And like I'll pick an example. You know, when people talk about, oh, all the playoff games and baseball, you know, wasn't it great when they're in the day and not at night? And it's like, well, one of the reasons they're doing it is money. But you know, behind that money is the fact that more people are gonna watch it. So actually more people are happy <laughs> at night <laughs> than a day, um, and but in in this case, you know it's interesting because I I don't see I I think it's going to backfire on them, and you know it's funny because I don't know how your experience was, but when I got to North Carolina growing up in New York City, you know I hadn't really followed college sports and that much, and when you got there and you saw that those rivalries mattered, <laughs> right? I mean, that ACC rivalry and the home and home. And so it wasn't just waiting for the tournament and seeing what your ranking was. Like every time you played Wake, there was a story, there was a history to it. It mattered, you know, and all those games mattered. And and we used to watch like every game in the ACC, like they'd start at 12 and there'd be like four games, right? And you'd watch Wake versus Clemson and you'd watch them all because somehow the conference mattered. And I couldn't name the teams in the AC conference and how often they play each other. It's a joke. And, and I still love college basketball, but you know, I think it's going to backfire.
1: Um, yeah, this is, this is one of the, I guess I'm, I'm the, I'm the sanctimonious guy that you hate. I'm the guy who, as you, as we all know, will fight, fight for, for, for tradition. And, and yes, the thought that, uh, that north carolina could be playing and you know, playing games in in the big 10 is i think just kind of disgusting but um uh but you know i i don't i guess the good news is from what i understand uh it's not going to happen immediately at least in the next uh five years or so we're 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 uh going to be protected by the uh by the the know the rights all the rights deals and all the all the exit fee nightmares i mean it would right now uh if if i'm reading it right um it would cost about half a billion dollars for any ac that that was that was reported i'm sure i'm sure uh, it
0: goes down by the year but that is it that would that was certainly some
1: half a billion dollars to you're not going this year let's just let's just say that that uh you know that uh, Wake Forest is not leaving the ACC and paying five hundred five hundred million dollars to do it uh, anytime soon. So maybe uh, at least at least temporarily, we're going to just get to enjoy what we've enjoyed for for many years. And uh, yeah, I'm afraid that that's a short term it's a short term um, savior, and we're not we're not you know we're we're doomed eventually. But uh, but at least in the in the short term, we're we can still enjoy our rivalries for, for a little bit longer, but yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt that there's going to come a time and you know, we've all kind of, I, I agree when Maryland left, that sucked and it's not, it's, it's not the same, but we've, we've adjusted to it. Right. I mean, we've accepted it. We've moved on and wherever, you know, wherever this, wherever, wherever the ACC teams, ACC team splinter off to, we're gonna hate it at first and then we're gonna accept it and live with it as long as Duke and Carolina are still still in the same conference, which that would be the ultimate. If one of them goes to the Big Ten, the other one goes to the SEC and North Carolina and Duke never play again. oh uh, that would be great. Mm. So um yeah, these are just some things to things to wake you up in a cold sweat in the
0: middle of the night. <laughs> the 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 one thing I uh, nobody talks about because nobody cares about Vanderbilt, but the one thing, about, the only conference change I could ever get on board with was the Ron Morris plan. And Ron Morris, the great journalist, would always say that, that you just look at the ACC and the SEC, and there should be a trade of Clemson for Vanderbilt. That would have made mm-hmm. more sense. Vanderbilt, with its better academics, always made a little more sense in the ACC. But nobody even cares about Vanderbilt anymore and, uh, <laughs> and Clemson is, is perhaps earmarked for the SEC which could easily spread that 500 million dollar exit fee among all the members the the uh booming conference that it is and and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's pocket change for the for the SEC but I know no,
1: that's what scares me you're right it's
0: distasteful. Mm-hmm. it is not making us want uh to uh to look ahead we just look back so uh Thank you for listening. This has been Three Point Range for Kimball Crosley. For Tim Cruthers. this is Mike Berardino. And we'll see
1: you next time.